Blog Talk Radio. Time with Pastor Steph. Take 
on the back of New Yorkers. And we got to stay here while you go to Mexico and Ecuador and all of these places to supposedly discourage people from coming here. I thought about the fact that, and they said it, no, it's not going to be worth it. I'm going to be talking to nobody. Listen, we just did the story last week, Tuesday, of the asylum seekers that are so desperate that they are actually crawling through barbed wire their children, putting their children through barbed wire. Do you think that sounds like people who could possibly be discouraged? Because I'm going to tell you something. Barbed wire would have discouraged me. (laughs) Yeah, you wouldn't have had to tell me twice. Once I saw the barbed wire, I would have said, Stephanie, here. So pack on up and head back in the opposite direction, girl. That didn't stop her. I surely wouldn't have put my children through that. But listen, we don't live the lives of these people from Ecuador and Guatemala and Venezuela. We don't have their plight. We don't have their troubles. We have troubles, but we don't have their troubles. And uh, if that didn't discover you yet, waters where they would have possibly, potentially, possibly, potentially drowned, they had me. They had me. So you need to just keep your butt right on here and just try to work on the problems that we have right here because you need to put some bricks up and start building a wall. Maybe had y'all listened to Trump, we wouldn't be having this problem. But that's just past the step talking. That may not be your feeling. Okay? Well, the other story we talked about yesterday... And we ended up kind of blending it with our church folk segment. Oh, I met a spectacular man while vacationing in Aruba with my girlfriend over the Labor Day holiday. This woman wrote in about how she found this love of her life, in her words, this spectacular man, while she vacationed in Aruba. She's been back over there since she met him initially. She's had this relationship long distance with him. She's head over heels. And she met up with her girlfriend after talking to them about him. And clearly, she must have given a name 
because as they met one night, she was met by her girlfriend who told her that they had pulled up an article on Google about her overseas boyfriend and shoved it in her face. She said, my eyes consumed the article quickly. It described a man in his late 50s charged with drug trafficking, assisted by his wife. <laughs> well, she wanted to know, should she end the relationship? She was planning another trip already. How, 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 how could she be met with this dilemma? She wanted to know, should I give my guy a second chance or dump him immediately and keep it moving? Well, when they spoke, he told her he admitted that he had been caught with an insignificant amount of drugs, that he had no intention of selling. As far as being married, it was only for her citizenship. Based on what he explained, they didn't live in the same house, never saw each other, and he was in the process of getting out of it. It was strictly on paper, and he had planned to tell me everything on my next visit. Oh, ladies, 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 ladies. What we're going to do? Well, listen. We spoke to the pastors yesterday, and we just happened to have a couple of pastors that uh, (laughs) have had a real former life. Yeah, Pastor Jeff and Pastor KL really talked about that thing. And if you are a listener to It's Due Time with Pastor Staff, you would know that uh, these are men who are experienced. They have definitely shared with us real deals about involved with the wrong man. Yeah. They've been very candid and upfront. And as a matter of fact, Pastor KL told his story again yesterday. And both both of them did warn the ladies. Hey. Come on now. Come on now. They gonna say what they gonna say. Oh. Come on, ladies. We got to get it together. Okay? We're going to have to get it together. You know, I'm kind of silent because I'm like, in this day and time, are we still, are we still falling for the oaky dope? Are we still falling for it, y'all? really mean to tell me that we could really be caught up in long distance relationship 
and we don't Google him, our friends gotta Google him. Yesterday, you know, these are some real friends because, you know, I agree with Chantise who said, hey, you know, they didn't meet over the next day and talk about you. They actually took the time to give you the real. Yeah, to tell you, listen, girl, get it together. Here's what your boo, who she referred to, or, you know, she calls him even in her letter. Here's what your boo is really about. So come on, get yourself together. Well, here's the thing. And what we talked about yesterday, how we ended up blending it into a personal question. Because in reality, when the church folk come to us for counseling, and when I say us, I mean whether you're a pastor, whether you're a person, you know, in the Lord, and, you know, they figure they can get some sound, quote-unquote, some sound godly advice that in actuality they really don't want the advice. And I don't mean just about the men. I mean about anything. Yeah, they just go through the motions and they just figure they'll do what they were told to do and kind of get that out of the way. But in actuality, they don't really want to hear no sound advice because while your lips are moving, let me help you understand that they already about to do what they have been planning to do. And while your lips are moving, they're thinking and working it out in their head. This is how they can do it so quickly after they get up from you. Have you ever seen that happen? Come on, come on. You don't have to be a pastor to have seen this happen. They already know what they want to do. And while you talking and chattering with them and chatting with them, before you know it, you're like, well, wait a minute. Did we speak to... Well... Yeah, that's church folk for you. That's church folk for you. So, ladies... You know, here you had a scenario where they did the research for her. She didn't even have to do it. And they saw that she hadn't done it. And let me me help you with something. Can I tell you something? If you listen, this wasn't her first time either, probably. Nah. Nah. This is why they Googled. They were like, here she go again. Getting all caught up out there. Again, another Johnny about nothing. Go again in La La Land. That's why they did the research. Because another friend or group of friends would have asked, Girl, did you look him up? You did your research. No, they did it for her. So clearly, this is her MO about there on more than one occasion. <laughs> Please don't let it be you. And again, you know, we're talking conceptually. We're not talking about the exact same scenario. We're talking about conceptually. 
are you really speaking to people who you think have some good godly counsel or they have a good listening ear, but as soon as they open up their mouth, you're not trying to hear it? Because, listen, down like this on a regular basis. So, whether it's your girlfriend who's pining away about this man who you just figured out is no good and you didn't bother to do the research that she didn't do and work this out for her, or if it's any other thing, don't let it be you. Don't let it be you. If, if God is sending you to get some godly counsel, if God is sending you to any individual who you value supposedly, <laughs> who you value their opinion, then, then, then listen, listen, listen. Because here's the sad part. The, 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 the fact that it's not a particular case, you don't think it's you. You don't think it's you. You don't think it can be you. It's never but uh, a lot of times we're looking across the table, and it's us. We're talking about folk, and it's us. We're the church folk. And this is why church folk is still the most popular uh, segment of the show for the week. Because, listen, we, we turn the mirror around, and we put it up to you. And at the end of the day, you know, most people have said, yo, me. Wow, this is me. So don't let it be you. Don't let it be you. Take take whatever God is giving you. Okay? All right. Well, that's how we spent our Let's Talk About It Tuesday Church Folk Day. And today, today, today is Wow Wednesday. <laughs> Oh, see, listening to Pastor Seth, you would think she got a good night's sleep, but it's okay because I haven't, but the Lord has got me pumped anyway. I got up this morning to hear Jesus is the king of our trauma, and I tell you, that really did it for me this morning. I was like, wow, wow, wow. Talk about giving you something to think about first thing in the Men. So this is why it's such a grand old wow Wednesday, because you think of Jesus as like so many things, but wow, Jesus is the king of our trauma, and that was one of the highlights, I want to say one of the highlights of Elton Atisha's prayer this morning, and you know, I've told you about um, of an Atisha's prayer on Wednesday mornings. I've told you about Pastor Kim on Saturday morning. And I'm telling you, these women, you think you like them here. You think you value them here. Then put them in their own element and, let, and just get what God is giving them as individuals. You know, right now on Wednesday mornings, we, get, we share them. You know, they, they kind of have to stretch their time and, you know, kind of blend in with everybody. But when you give them their own space, ooh, wait. 
So my body is on zero, but my brain, my heart, and my spirit is on 999. So I'm telling you, come on, come on, come on. Come on and join me as we get started this morning. So go ahead and get that healthy breakfast. Go ahead and tell somebody that it's due time with Pastor Steph on and whatever you do. Don't go anywhere because we'll be right back. Celiac disease. Seriously? Seriously. Celiac disease. It's an autoimmune disease. Celiac disease. Seriously? My immune system is attacking my healthy cells. Left untreated could lead to infertility, anemia, osteoporosis, hair loss. Cancer. Dad, why are you telling me all this? Because I have it. And it's genetic. Celiac disease. Seriously? Not just immediate family. All family members are at risk. Okay, but I don't have any symptoms. People can have celiac disease without even knowing it. It took me 12 years to get the right diagnosis. You can find out now. Take the first step and ask your doctor for a simple blood test. If your family has been affected by celiac disease, this is the conversation you need to be having. Talk to them. Tell them the facts. Urge them to test. Mom, can we talk? Good morning and good morning again. Welcome back to It's Due Time with Pastor Steph. And it is Wow Wednesday. Yes, we made it. We're halfway through the week by the grace of God. And we're giving him thanks for getting us this far. Everybody didn't make it. Somebody didn't wake up this morning, but we did. So I'm not going to keep you as my little opener was a little longer than what I normally try to do. So let's say good morning to our girl Vivian so we can get that socially conscious segment. Good morning, Viv. Good morning. Happy Wow Wednesday. How are you, Pastor Seth? I am well, thank you, Vivian. How are you? Fine, thank you. <laughs> that's good, that's good, Viv. What you got for us this morning? All right, today on Socially Conscious, we are starting off with some pandemic news, surprisingly. So we have covered stories here on this due time with Pastor Steph about how the pandemic has been kind of blamed and caused a lot of changes since it occurred, including driving habits, 
pricing, employment, uh, employment shortages, rather, health, behavior, mental illnesses, drug addiction, education, and now they're saying that the pandemic has affected the children in a very interesting way. Researchers are saying that the pandemic has affected children's vision. Optometrists say the COVID-19 pandemic has led to an increase in vision problems for children. Doctors say since the pandemic stay at home orders, young eyes have changed. They say there's a large increase in nearsightedness and children of the United States. They're saying it used to be about 25% of the children population, and it is now near 50% and increasing. They say while genetics does play a major factor, one major reason the increase in, is, is in children that is that they are spending less time outdoors and more time on digital devices. One fact that was brought out that I did not know is that if a child is nearsighted at a young age, they will most likely be nearsighted as an adult. And I was not aware that you can go from being nearsighted as a child and not being nearsighted as an adult. But apparently there are drops and other medications that can be used as well as procedures that they can do in order to slow the progression of nearsightedness and or kind of stop it. But regardless of any medications, hold on. Regardless of any medications and or procedures they that can slow or help with nearsightedness, doctors say it is better to focus on prevention, which means get your kiddos outdoors so they can look at objects in the distance. And if they have to be on screens for schools or other uh, things like that, remember this 20-20-20 rule, which is every 20 minutes when you're looking at a computer or digital device, look 20 feet away from you for 20 seconds. So if your child being socially awkward, lazy, or exposed to things they should not be exposed to was not enough reason for you to limit and or remove devices from their day-to-day routines, maybe their vision will do the job. Doctors say a child's vision can change dramatically in as little as one semester in school. So it's important to get your child's vision checked every 12 months. And remember, if they're not able to see well, that will affect their ability to do well in school, says one doctor. I thought that was a very interesting article, how the pandemic is causing nearsightedness to increase in our children. But it makes a lot of sense. These kids always have a device in their face. And when we were in the thick of the pandemic, they were literally sitting in front of devices for school, So it definitely makes sense. But this is now even more reason that now that you can go outside, you want to get those kids outside and off these devices more often. Our next story is a topic we discussed here before. So if you haven't heard or don't remember the name Ethan Crumbly, 
He is the then 15-year-old who opened fire back in 2021 at Oxford High School, shooting 10 people and killing four. Excuse me. Well, we have talked about how these parents need to be held accountable for when their kids get hold to guns and harm and or kill others. Well, Crumbly's parents just lost an appeal on Tuesday and will face trial on involuntary manslaughter charges. They're saying this is a rare case of prosecutors attempting to pin some responsibility for a school shooting on the perpetrator's family. James and Jennifer Crumbly are accused of making a gun accessible to Ethan Crumbly and ignoring his mental health needs. They're saying that the day or about the day before the shooting, I believe it was the day of the shooting, the Crumbly parents were called to the school due to some violent pictures that their son was drawing. Unfortunately, no one checked his backpack during that meeting, and he was allowed to stay when the parents left, and then this incident occurred with him shooting the 10 people and killing four. Attorneys for the parents insist the school shooting was not foreseeable. They acknowledge that bad decisions were made, but not ones that should rise to involuntary manslaughter, which carries a maximum prison sentence of 15 years. So unlike the mom of the six-year-old who they found out lied on her application to get the gun, and that's how she got snagged, They are holding these parents more accountable, and more interesting is both parents. So this can be the start of the government or, you know, the court system holding these parents accountable going forward, which in my opinion is a great thing. Next, we are facing another strike, this time with health care workers. So we just got through talking about the bus driver strikes. And now we are facing uh, healthcare workers going on strike. Reports say that more than 75,000 healthcare workers are preparing to strike today, actually, which would be the largest healthcare strike in U.S. history. They say workers, the workers' union contract expired this weekend, and staff are pushing for significant improvements to staff le- staffing levels. And, of course, wage increases that account for the recent high inflation. They say the strike will hit hundreds of facilities in California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, Virginia, and Washington, D.C., and can affect about 12.7 million people. They're saying patients will feel an immediate impact, especially if they need lab work, diagnostic imaging, pharmacy and vision care, and so on, because most of the employees who are on the bulk of workers and the employees who are um, in those facilities would be the ones going on strike. They're also saying while doctors and registered nurses will be ready to go, Hospital disruptions could possibly include clerical staff, meal service and housekeeping, which affects infection control, 
So they're basically just going down the line. This strike will hit every area of hospital and medical facilities, and everybody is threatening to strike. Everybody needs more money. These prices are just way too high, and if, you know, if there's no wage increasing on the jobs, then how are people really affording any type of lifestyle, even the bare minimum? So understandably so, but this will be a very um, a very interesting strike to have go on if they don't come to a agreement soon. And now for our wow story of the week, which is a listener-submitted story that I thought was very interesting. The reports say decades of studies show that yelling at kids can be just as damaging as physical or sexual abuse. Experts say talking harshly to children should be recognized as a form of abuse because of the huge damage it does. They say verbal abuse is characterized by shouting, yelling, insulting the child, and verbal threats. They're saying that more children experience childhood verbal abuse than physical or sexual abuse, and the number who encounter it appears to be as high as 40% and growing. They say that there are four types of yelling. Reactive yelling, this is an impulsive response to a child's action, usually caused by surprise, shock, fear, or immediate anger. Exhaustion yelling, when parents are physically or emotionally drained, their patience and ability to cope with challenging situations diminish. Aggressive yelling, this form of yelling often involves derogatory remarks, humiliation, and verbal aggression. And habitual yelling, when yelling takes root due to parents frequently raising their voices for reasons not connected to immediate concerns, they may develop a habit of yelling leading to a shorter fuse. And they are saying that yelling at your kids increases low self-esteem issues, self-harming activities, drug and alcohol abuse, and the likeliness that your child will end up in jail. So this is insane to me, but of course we want to hear from you. Do you think that this this study that they are now bringing out is accurate or nonsense? I personally think that it's nonsense. But this has been Vivian with Socially Conscious, giving you the news that we are following. And remember... If you have any wild stories you would like to submit, please feel free to direct message me on Facebook. My username there is Vivian B.M. And come back every Wednesday to find out if your story has been chosen. Thank you, as always, to our loyal listeners, and thank you, Pastor Stout. Thank you, Vivian. Thank you. I need you to run down for me the effects of the yelling, please. Low self-esteem, children going to jail, drug or alcohol abuse, and what, did I miss something? Increases in self-harming activities. Okay. All right, Vivian. As always, you've come through for us. 
Thank you so very much. Please hang around if you can, just in case we need some clarification. But if not, and we don't speak to you again, thank you again for your contribution, and we pray you have a blessed day. Thank you. You as well. All right. Thank you. All right, ladies. We've got some chatting to do. Let's say good morning to our elder Nitisha. Good morning, elder Nitisha. Good morning. Good morning to you and all of our listeners and my sisters. Good morning. How are you? I am good, thank you. How are you? That's good. Good. I'm well, thank you. I'm well, thank you. I'm well, thank you. Blessed from the prayer this morning. Thank you very much for being obedient. Thank you. Amen. We're talking about the pandemic that they say has affected our children's vision, which I don't think is probably any shock to anyone Mm -hmm. considering that they had to go into virtual learning, which meant everybody had a tablet if you didn't Mm -hmm. already which increased, you know, their their screen time. But um, how do you think we're going to manage this 2020-20 rule? Every 20 minutes, get up for 20 or turn away or look away for 20 seconds. Do you think that that's really going to go on? What do you think overall? Well, I definitely can see, uh, you know, staring at a screen for – uh, eight hours a day. Then after that, you know, getting on your phone or watching television. So there's a lot of time spent with our eyes looking at these screens. So I definitely can see how that can uh, be a problem and how it's become a, a problem. Uh, but I, I, I'm hoping that as kids, you know, are going back into the classroom that, um, you know, this won't be something that perpetuates, this won't be a continual issue. I think, you know, um, parents, especially in the black and brown communities, we just have to be really be vigilant in taking care of ourselves, making sure that our children are going to the eye doctor and doing everything that is necessary, um, you know, to, to improve their vision and their ability to see. But I definitely, I mean, I think it makes sense. But, again, I think primarily it's really just a um, public announcement to say, hey, we can't just take this as something that, you know, another something that's being thrown out there. Because, you know, we can do that. We can say, oh, child, please, my child's fine. Mm -hmm. Right, 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 right. (laughs) We have to be vigilant. And, and take our our children to the eye take them for the annual visit, you know, making sure we stay on top of those things. All right, all right, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Let's hear what our Lady Tamika has to say. Good morning, Lady Tamika. Good morning and happy Wednesday to you. Hoping that you are well. <laughs> Thank you very much. I am well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, thank you. 
That's good. Well, as a person who sits at a screen most of your day, you know, what, going backwards and dealing with the children who are at a screen quite often, what do you think of this announcement that, you know, what makes you get your child's eyes examined because uh, it's doing a lot more harm than you think? Yeah, I'm not really surprised, especially um, with our youth. You know, um, it seems like as soon as they come out the womb, they're, they're playing with a phone or they have some type of access to a computer. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you mm-hmm. think about it. Mm-hmm. Now, I work, I'm at a computer for work. Um, and from time to time, you know, even while I'm working, I'm on my phone. You know, there's there's something that has to do, you know, part of, what we do, you know, is connected with my work, with my phone. My my actual personal phone is connected to the computer, you know. But we're talking about our youth. So you um, have them now at hours where they're studying via Internet. So they're, they're screwed, you know, pretty much glued to the phone, I mean, to the computer. And then when they take their lunches and breaks because they are technological now, in their break time, they're using the phone. Then they go back to the computer. So the whole time, the majority of the day, they're, you know, some way connected to some type of technical device, which, you know, those rays are, are constantly going, you know, in their eyes, you know. And, and then some of them, you know, depending on their age and depending on their, uh, what mom or dad will allow them to do prior to going to bed, they still have a phone. So, you know, multiple hours of the day, you know, there's no, no break, you know, and even sometimes when you call little Johnny, little Johnny, little Johnny's not answering because he's glued to his phone, you know, or some type of technical <laughs> device. It's not a tablet, it's something else, but day in, day out. So it wouldn't surprise me now that, you know, there's now something, um, you know, wrong, you know, or, or that there are issues and, and, and things that doctors, that eye doctors need to check on. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Thank you again for joining us this morning. Let's hear what our girl Shanti has got to say about this screen thing. 2020. Good morning, Shanti. Good morning. Good morning, ladies. Hello. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm well, thank you. I'm well, thank you. What you got to say about this screen time? Yeah, I've even noticed it with myself um, this past year. And, you know, I have to be on screen a lot. But, you know, even if it means listening to what comes from the device more than I look at it where I can help it. Um, but a lot of times with the kids that may not always be what they're able to do. You know, especially when you're talking about the um remote learning they still have so even though since the pandemic, you know, um in person learning has been in effect for a long while now, but one of the things they kept is class dojo. So, you know, class dojo being the site where you go and 
sometimes you get your assignments or the parents are able to get updates and announcements and so on and so forth. So yet, even with us, um, but with them being in person to learning again, you still have that, you know, that you have to get on and, and look at and a lot of um, reading. Like I know my niece, every day she has to read for like 30 minutes. If she's here, she doesn't always have a, have a physical book to read. So she'll have to get a book online and read. So there she sitting in front of a device for at least another 35, 40 minutes. Because sometimes it takes a few minutes to search for, you know, a decent book for her to read. Um, but it's a lot that they still have to do, you know, online. And just, you know, hoping maybe there's a way they can listen to it more then watch it because, you know, it is a, a strain and there's a lot more kids wearing glasses now, you know, and even with the glasses, that's still a, a strain on your eyes. And then you have the the parents who, you know, they don't really monitor the time that the kids spend leisure-wise on these devices. So now you're up all night or if it's a day off of school, all day you're watching stuff on your phone or on your iPad, your tablet, then you may go from there to the TV, and then it's just like, ugh. like never giving your eyes a rest. So it's definitely not surprising to hear that all of this is now going on with their eyes. Oh, yes, I, I agree with everything you ladies have said, and thank you so much for joining us this morning, Sean. Please, one of the things that I thought about yeah. was a few things. <laughs> one, I don't know how many of you have seen in the stroller. Oh, my gosh, in the strollers mm-hmm. now. They have the babies in the strollers with the phones because the phones are occupying the children. So you're talking about from as, as what, two you're holding the phone, you're sitting up, you're holding the phone, so you know there's no 20 seconds of, of deviation every 20 minutes. Um, but one of the things that what really came to my mind was they are converting everything, everything online. So you're filling out apps online, when you're, when you're applying for a job, those those are online. Everything they are sending you online to do. Now we have the video, the virtual visits with the doctors online. The children, like you said, Shanti, are reading their books online. So here's my thing. I hope y'all planning on extending this this medical provision because it's your one. It's part of the reason. You're part of the reason why the vision is going bad. Because if you didn't convert, there's almost no library out here anymore. There's no library. I remember Auntie Pam was, she always, Auntie Pam was the librarian. Always books, 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 books. That's, all, that's one thing I always remember about Auntie Pam, from middle of the librarian. And for people like her, it became extinct. It became extinct. If you didn't learn technology, you were pretty much out of a job. So you forced this, you know, this this to use the computer. You better pony up the money. Pony up the money to help parents get this vision 
for their children to get these glasses. So when you're bringing in these hundreds of thousands of people, yeah, this is one of the things you have to take care of because because of the pandemic, it pushed, again, the children didn't have devices. You now gave them a device, and they were using the devices for everything because it had Internet access. So that was one of the things, as you ladies were talking, my head went to. I'm like, well, they've converted everything. So now we all going blind because everything you do is on a computer. If you have literal a computer in your pocket. If you have an iPhone, an Apple device, you literally you're literally walking around with a computer, literally in your pocket. So I, I hope they're ready to put the money out to you know help us here. All right, here's one that I really wanted to talk about because we I don't remember if this if if we talked about it the ladies talked about it, but I do remember the Ethan Crumbly story. And this was one time they were going after the parents because they said that the parents had just been to school and had gotten complaints about this young man. And lo and behold, he ended up shooting and killing people, and they were trying to hold them accountable. Well, what do you think, uh, Lady Tamika, about the fact that they have dismissed the appeal, they officially lost, and they are now holding their feet to the fire for what their child has done. Yeah, we have definitely um, skimmed off of that, and now, you know, we, we're right in the, in the crux of <laughs> what happened, you know, and we have often said, you know, that we have to hold somebody accountable. You understand that the child is of a certain age and, and they're getting younger and younger now, you know, and so somebody has to be held accountable. Um, and I think it, you know, I think it's a good thing. It's, it's a sad thing, but I think it is a good thing to hold parents accountable, you know. Um, and, and, I'm, I, and I want, I, I want to say this because every child that, this, that does this doesn't necessarily come from a bad home. So, you know, people automatically, you know, will, will point the finger at a parent. You know, sometimes that is the case, but in some cases it's not. Um, having, allowing your child to have access to the gun. This is not the first time that we've seen that. Again, you know, that's the whole purpose mm-hmm. for having these trainings yep. and classes. And now yep. when you decide that it's okay to leave a gun in, in the room, it's not locked, you know, you don't have any type of garden, gardens, uh, guidance, you know, whereas that comes, you know, it's not locked and they have access, then yes, you are accountable, you know, because my thing is your child shouldn't have access at all, you know, or if you're going to have um, access, then it should be supervised access, meaning that when I allow, that means I keep the key on me. I'm not going to allow this to be open or sitting in a place where you can harm yourself or someone else. You know, and so now this is the repercussions of you not doing what your your due your due diligence. Absolutely, absolutely, Shanti, good or bad? Um, I think it's really good that the parents are being held accountable because when you think about if the school is saying that they picked up on something. He's been doing something around that house that 
even if it's just locking myself in my room and I have to knock on the door in order to get to you, which I never understood that. That's different. Um, I have to knock on the door to get to you. Um, you, When I do knock, you may not want to open the door. You lash out at me for knocking because you don't want to be bothered. It's been something so that now now that the school has called you, you shouldn't have been that started. You know, even if it's to say, well, I, I suspected something, even if I didn't think this, but you calling me up here isn't all, you know, I'm not flabbergasted, you know, and it, it's really just forcing this now, holding the parents accountable is now forcing the parents to face reality when they do notice things or now to make sure you start paying more attention. You have you have to as parents you have to start paying more attention because there's things that and in addition to just leaving these weapons around, you know if you're paying attention and you're noticing things, that's more than enough reason for you to start locking your weapons up. Now you know what Johnny got a little attitude, so we just gonna make sure make sure in no way you know even. Even if the, the thought isn't really because he would go use it or because, but it's just like, I, listen, hide the knives. Like, it, the way things are, like, you, you can't be oblivious to everything. And if you are, shame on you. You know, that, like, these, and this is why these kids slip through the cracks so much, because either as the parents, they're not, they're ignoring what they are seeing and they're just brushing it off, or they're really just not paying any attention. And either way, now you're feeling the child. And now everyone else has to now face the consequences of you not being as on point as you could have been. Because he didn't shoot the house up. He went on the outside and did something. You know, so I, I think it's a really good idea to hold the parents accountable. All righty, all right. Elder Natisha, as a parent. I, yeah, I agree with everything that um, has already been said. I, too, think that uh, finally we are putting some responsibility on parents to parent their children. You know, there are so many areas where we have taken the power out of the hands of parents, um, and so we have to now – um, be mindful that if we're going to hold them accountable and responsible, then that can't just be in one area. So it can't be that mm-hmm. when my child is out of control, then you want to hold me responsible, but he can or she can go to school and become a he or she as they free, you know, feel, you know, within their mm-hmm. adolescent being. To be. So I think that it actually has to be um, across the board. We have to begin to put um, responsibility and put the power back into parents parenting their children. I think parents will go absolutely out of their way to be mindful, to pay attention, to do everything that Uh they need to do to get their child some help if they know that they will be held responsible Uh for the consequences Uh of their child. You're not going to wait no longer um, with notifying, you're going you're gonna to start inviting. Um, it takes a village to raise a child. You're going to start inviting the teacher 
into the process to say, hey, I have some concerns. Tell me what you see. I think it creates a, um, a more healthy environment if we allow for this to stretch across the board. But it can't be that the only time we're held accountable and responsible is if it is found that our child has issues and those issues have resulted in some dangerous behaviors and, you know, toward other kids and, and other environments and proven to be unsafe. But then say, oh, but your adolescent can come here and say they don't want to be Jane, they want to be Bill, and we will help them and provide them with medication and, and, and you not notify parents. So it just has to be across the board. Absolutely, absolutely, ladies. One of the things that also has to be across the board is just like Vivian mentioned, the little six-year-old mama, is she, they, they hold her feet to the fire. And we, you know, draw a weapon on one teacher. This child, 15 years old, they left. There was never a question as to whether the gun was left out for him to get access to. This was something that, um, you know, they knew. They knew. They knew. They knew. They knew. This was never a question. You know, we could figure out that the six-year-old had access to the gun, but this here was never a question. So you are now holding her accountable, but now these others, this other set, they don't get help now. It's the same. They have to follow. They should have to follow the same rule. Mm-hmm. Same as mm-hmm. that. So you know what? Everybody needs to, to, to pay the piper for their child's mm-hmm. negligence. And I agree with you, ladies. If they start, if they show that we are holding you accountable and you're going to possibly go to jail because in actuality you killed these people because of your negligence, I think there'll be some wake up. They'll mm-hmm. be waking up bright and early uh-huh. to, to, to get this preventive med- these preventive measures in place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's get it done. Let's get it done. <laughs> I'm glad that there was a judge that said, ah, no, we're just missing this thing here. Thank you, God, for, you know, for that. Because that, that's big. That's big. All righty, ladies. I want to talk about this decade of study. I actually had this up on Monday, this particular article about this verbal, quote-unquote, abuse versus hitting and the fact that they find that hitting, I'm sorry, yeah, hitting is not as bad as verbal abuse. They have categorized, uh, what, four different types of yelling, reactive yelling, exhaustive yelling, exhaustive yelling, aggressive yelling and habitual yelling and they all kind they're all kind of self explanatory and the effect that they say it has on children increases low self esteem. Uh, children end up in jail. They end up either on drugs or using uh, abusing alcohol and they indulge in self harming activities. 
And Shantice, I'd like to hear what your thought is. When? What? So I'm going to start using drugs because my parents yelled. You know why? Because I've been told that I can tell my parents what to do. And uh, my parents have finally got set up and yelled at me. And because I'm not used to getting any type of reprimand, now this is just the worst. I'm ready to now start abusing substances. This is just like, what, what, what area and age group was this study conducted in? Because I've, I've never, I grew up, you know, and... <laughs> You know, anyone who knows my family. You know that? Yeah, 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 I mean, listen, anyone who knows my family, and I always laugh, it's like, father what? Before the father could have said something if he had an opportunity to, between the women in my family, you were set straight. And it wasn't always done by yelling. But, you know, I, I thank God that it was a lot of balance that I had. But you, you got yelled at. You may have gotten a little attitude. You better watch your response, though, because uh, you'd rather take the yelling than get what was coming next if your response wasn't on point or if you had a response at all. But you all, all of this for being yelled at is because, and I think it was mentioned, a lot of it has to do with because I, nothing is said to me. Not, as a child, I dare you to say anything to me. Or I've witnessed my friends pretty much threatening their parents or their parents not yelling at them. And now I get yelled at and it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. And now, that that is just completely bogus. And it's in, anyone who, like, really <laughs> feels like that, it's like I just wish that they could look on the opposite end and see, you know, the – and it's funny because I just read of the verse where God spoke on – you know, sparing the rod, spoiling the child. And he pretty much said, you don't love your kids if you don't discipline, not abuse. But if you don't make sure you have that bad, when it's time to get on your child, you get on your child. When it's time to be a little lenient, you're a little lenient. But because now no one does it, I've witnessed, I've witnessed kids who's not barely up to your weight cussing their family out. And the parents almost crying. The parents are sad because they get yelled at. It, it's just, I, and I, and I, I'm just sitting there staring with my mouth open. Like, Teresa has literally pulled me away because I was ready to slap them. I don't know these people. But it was just like, is this for real? But because things are the way they are now, it's just like, yell at me, what? What do you mean yell at me? You're not allowed to do that. Or oh, I've never heard of this. You know, and that's why there's such a thin line between abuse now because parents have, a lot of parents have to come to this rule of I can't do this with my child until they finally snap. Now there is no balance because now I'm just ready to take their head off. So there is no, no balance. But I, I would really love to know the, the demographics. Like who, where, where was this taken? Because to hear that this now all has me like messed up because, my parent yelled at me. It's just like, this is different. 
Uh, spoken from a child um, perspective also. Elder Keisha, thank you. Um, okay, so there's a difference, right, between uh, verbal uh, verbal abuse and yelling. If the yelling is uh, inclusive of language that constitutes as emotional abuse, then it is a problem. And so I think the first thing that, that has to be done is really defining or making that separation between yelling, because immediately when one hears yelling, you start thinking about what the words, you know, that are being used are coming out as a result of, of yelling. So there is a difference between yelling and emotional abuse. But I will also add that yelling by itself, so a form of torture that is used by the F, uh, FBI when they are wanting to uh, get information and they are wanting to cause you to be sleep deprived, and it is a yelling and loudness is a form of torture. So I do think that there is something to that. I think if you grow up in an environment where there is this consistency of being yelled at, it can absolutely lead to um, PTSD. It can lead to anxiety. It can lead, and then, and I think so, the correlation between, oh, I'm going to yell at you and now you're an alcoholic, I don't think it's just, you know, that black and white. I think it is the PTSD, it's the anxiety and stuff that comes, you know, as a result of being in that, in, in that environment for a sustained length of time. If I spent 18 years in a home with a parent that was constantly yelling at me, yeah, there are some effects. And so there will be some anxiety, loud noise. I mean, you know, you'd be jumping and on edge and stuff like that with loud noise that can ultimately lead to you wanting to indulge in substance abuse or alcoholism because of the fact that you're trying to rid yourself of the anxiety that you feel. So I don't think that it is just as, you know, a direct correlation, but I do think that um, there is something to be said about yelling, but I do think it's, it's worth making it noted that there is a difference between emotional abuse by way of verbiage um, and yelling, but that yelling in and of itself can also um, have long-term effects. Okay, okay. When I pulled this up on Monday, I had mixed emotions, and which is one of the reasons why I opted to discuss it on Thursday as Therapeutic Thursday. Um, it ended up coming up today. And I, I read this article twice. And I had mixed emotions because I understood where they were coming from, but also understood that it's not as cut and dry as the read makes it seem. You know, this is subjective and relative to who's being yelled at is subjective and relative to who the generation. We as as the Gen Y, we seem, no, we're X's, we're X's. So from millennials to Gen X's. 
and that that's the area I'm in. We were a lot more resilient than the children of today. And I think one of the things is is the power that given to children over adults. They have they've also been kind of guided into certain beliefs and things like that and it's just it's just different. They're just different than we are. And I'm not saying good, bad, right, wrong, or indifferent. It's just, it, it, that's the way things are. I, I looked at, <laughs> I looked at what they said. The, the four areas: reactive yelling, exhaustion yelling, aggressive yelling, and habitual yelling. And Vivian gave the breakdown as she read it. I come from a yelling mama. I come from a cussing, yelling mama. I come from a cussing mama. She cussed you out. Me and Terry, she cussed me. It was just her. She yelled. She had that reactive yelling. I, I remember learning a whole lot from her yelling. <laughs> what did you learn? Because you didn't want to yell at you. Yelling when she was tired, she yelled. When you know her aggressiveness caused her to yell, and she had a habit of yelling. That if if I would do little, you know, do certain things. I remember learning how not to wash a knife. I washed the knife with the blade facing down into the sponge, and I didn't get gently. All right, Stephanie, turn the knife around. That way you don't run the risk of slicing the sponge and now possibly cutting your hand. I got, go, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So from the yelling, I could have almost got cut. But that was also the fact that the habit of always yelling, the aggressiveness caused her to yell, her being tired and her reaction to what I was doing. So it fell in, that one instance fell all four categories. I'm 56 years old. I do not have low self-esteem. Um, pretty much I have not been to jail. <laughs> and everybody who knows my story knows why I laugh. I've never used drugs and I've never drank. And I've never indulged in any self-harming activities. Now, why do I say that? I'm not bragging by far. I give God thanks, and I always, you have always heard, we, we always spoke about Auntie Brenda and Auntie Pam on this, on this broadcast. They were the, they, the, Auntie Brenda, Auntie Pam, and Grandma gave us the balance that my home didn't give. They were gentle teachers where my mother was more of the, yes, she was the yeller. She loved you, but it was her communication. That was the way she communicated. And thank God for that balance. And I, and I did, I, I'm so happy that now Auntie Bunny's not with us that I did share with her. Thank you, because that's why I'm saying all of this is subjective and relative to who you're dealing with. Because God offered Stephanie and Terry the balance of a yelling mother who loved us, but that's just what she did. She just yelled. Very, very few lessons came from gentleness. 
I just, I just understood that. However, here, here's the thing that I want to also say, and I'm, I'm being a little long with this because I'm hoping that you extract some of the, something from what I'm saying. When I say, you know, they're telling you that, you know, all of that can possibly lead to these things. Has it been the cause of people having low self-esteem? Absolutely. Absolutely. Have children been jailed? I'm sure. You know, I don't know how many. Have people turned to drugs and alcohol? I'm sure. And have people indulged in self-harming activities? I'm sure. However, again, this is why I say what we do and how we do it is so key. Because, I, I'm, and, and I'm going to give you the same thing. Adults, my mother yelled. You knew exactly what to say to Ernie and she would cuss you out. I'm not asking her certain things because I'm not getting cussed out. I had to deal with that when I was a kid, and I had no other choice. But as an adult, I had a choice. My sister, on the other hand, she would say, I'm going to ask Ma this. And I'm like, you going to ask her that? You know you're going to get cussed out, right? She would say, uh, she can handle it. She could take it. I refuse to take it. So if I knew she was going to cuss at me or she was going to yell without the cussing, but she was just going to yell, I didn't bother I didn't bother. And, and then during the times when I needed to ask something and I knew I was going to get yelled at or cussed at, I would simply say, okay, before we get started, because you know, we're going to have, this is going to be a real quick conversation. Don't yell or cuss. We had gotten to the point where I could say that. Does that happen with everybody? No. However, again, all of this is, this is, this is individualized. And to, to read something like this, I was really torn from discussing this. I really, really was because if anybody knows me, knows this is my month. Elder Knight Tisha, she does cancer, breast cancer awareness, and I do the domestic violence and domestic abuse. And I was really torn with this, this because it, to me it was just written to too blatantly, too frankly, too direct. There wasn't enough in the read to give you more of an understanding that this is this is all subjective to who, you know, and how you can handle it, if you can handle it. You know, every every child does not take – Elder and I, teacher has talked about her upbringing. I have talked about my upbringing. Uh, other people have talked uh, – what's her name? Pastor Kim – you know, she's talked about Pastor Charlene, have talked about it. Where are we today? By the grace of God, we're here. And I think by us having this conversation today, I think it needs to be done on a broader scale. I don't think we need to discuss it. I think it's written too flat out. It's like, oh, mm. well, God forbid I yell. Now now my kid's going to end up in jail. And mm. I, Pastor Charlene, Pastor uh, Elder Nitisha, Pastor Kim, all you, I, I, they have not jail. They have not, from what I I mean, but Pastor Charlene talks about, you know, her drinking and things like that. Uh, Pastor Kim is very, you know, candid about what she's done. But look at where God has brought us to. And I think that's what we need to talk about, and I'd love to talk about it. And that's why I took the time to say all that I had, because I wanted to show you in one instance how broad this could be just for me by myself. 
Mm-hmm. about Elden Aitisha, Lady Tamika, Shantice, Vivian. We're, we're not, you know, the ladies that are on the show today. That's not even discussing everyone. Nobody talks about themselves but me, and that's why I did it because I think we need to understand that when the the, the uh, professionals, <laughs> when they're writing these things, it's just too blatant. It's just too flat. And I don't think it's, it's enough. And I think what I would like to do is I would like to take this topic, because this is Domestic Violence Month, Awareness Month, I'd really like to take this topic and let's dissect it a little bit more. Let's talk about how we can, you know, if if it did kind of lead us into a low self-esteem, what can we do? If it did take us into where we wanted to use drugs or drink, what we can do. If we did begin to conduct ourselves in a, in a negative, you know, manner where it could have us jailed, what can we do? How can we help our children? How can we not yell? That's why I had to laugh with Shanti. I was like, what are you trying to say, that your mother yelled? Yeah, I yelled. I, oh, yeah, I yelled. And it, back in my former life, I fucked them out at times. And it's funny because to measure, if I, y'all have all heard me go into my high pitch. Um, if I just begin to go in that high pitch area, it, it, it does something to her. Like, ma, 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 the high pitch, the high pitch. So that's why I say it's really <laughs> broad. It's just broad. Because Shantice and Shawnee never said that. Whether how they took it, I don't know. But they never verbalized it. So I think I would love, because of how vast this is, I want to come back to this. I want to come back to this. And I, I, I thank you all for letting me kind of, you know, hope, like I said, hopefully you can extract something from what I said. But, um, uh, we we want, I want to come back to this. I definitely do, and 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 really give it from a parent a parent angle, and how we can make our you know do better, and from the child's perspective, and how we can help them more with you know navigating through life because you're not going to like Elder my teacher said. There's a distinct difference between yelling and verbal abuse. It is just it's just two different things. And reading this article, no, it was just blah. And I was like, wow, wow. So thank you so much for allowing me to share that. I probably will do no closing today. I'll save y'all from that. But I hope that has helped with this understanding. And I kind of took my turn and Lady Tamika because she had she did have to leave. Um. So, and she might be back. Oh, I want to, I'll check that she might be back. Oh, she is back. So, you know what? So, I'll stop talking and I'll give her an opportunity to speak. Thank you again for listening. I hope that helped with some level of understanding. Lady Tamika, what would you like to say about this whole decades of yelling at kids and, and the effect? it has on children? Um, I, from from a product of a child who was a recipient of a yeller, you know, um, even in my adult life, I find that I have difficulty with certain things. Like you could tell me, put it over there, and I'm, I'm fine with it. But as soon as you say, put it over there, 
it, 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 it does something entirely different to me. You know, I, I am I am definitely a product of, like, it, it was all types of things, you know, that I had to deal with. I, um, but, you know, when we talk about the, re- the residual of that, I am literally tone stricken. So you can say something to me, but you got to watch how you say it, you know. Um, and it doesn't mean that I'm going to, you know, um, hit you or that I'm going to go drinking or I'm going to, you know, try and do something to myself. But I, I look at the, the, the residuals of that. My mother had, she gave birth to two children. Um, one of them is an extreme introvert, which is my brother. And I'm very outgoing. You know, I, I, I can laugh and giggle with the best of them. But when it comes to a certain pitch, I shy away from it. You know, so when even even something as simple as loud noises and, and I didn't realize it until I started talking, there are certain areas that I won't go just normal, airy, normal, everyday areas because it's too loud. I'm not comfortable in that setting. And it doesn't mean that anybody's doing anything to me. I just am not comfortable because the, the, the range of people and so much noise in that area, I stray from that, you know. And so everybody deals with that differently. You learn how to, um, to adapt to your circumstances, you know, and, and each person is different. Like I said, you know, one of us, I have no problem talking and, you know, but my brother is completely like, he's very withdrawn. You know, he doesn't say very much, you know, when he feels something as opposed to verbalizing it, he won't respond. You know, it's like, you got to shake him, like really, really get him, you know, shake him. And so I think you have to deal, you have to, it's a case by case thing. Each person deals with it a different way. Right. Um, you know, right. and, you know, we, I, I did hear, you know, I, I was able to listen in even though I was um, doing something. But, um, you know, every person is going to handle that differently. Somebody may drink. Mm-hmm. You know, another person, mm-hmm. I, I've, never, mm-hmm. I've never done drugs. I've never even looked, you know, uh, been in a facility in any way, shape, or form unless I was visiting someone. I never went there for myself, you know, and so I'm not a product of those. You know, that I just shy away from everything, you know, from, from things that are loud. Other than that, you know, I feel like I'm fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, I'm glad, and I thank you for being transparent. But, you know, again, this is what we say. You know, it's a case-by-case individual. Everybody who was yelled at does not end up in those four categories as the article reads. And you know, we—I I would love an opportunity to to talk, uh, to break this down. So we we will readdress this before the month is out. Before the month is out, definitely. All righty, ladies, thank you so much for indulging me in our socially conscious segment. Oh, interestingly enough. You know, we never know what Vivian is going to bring. We we have this this topic, misconceptions of being a new believer. You know, we all we all, you know, have been spoken to and encouraged to accept Christ as our personal savior. And we all went into it at different ages with different reasons, different calls on our lives. But no matter what we did before 
we gave Christ our life. We all went into this with some type of notion, what we thought giving our lives to the Lord would be like, what Christianity would be like with being a child of God would be like. And when I saw it, I thought this was kind of interesting, and I definitely wanted to talk about it because, again, it's vast. It's vast. And one of the things they say is a misconception of being a new Christian is that everything will be, Tisha, you got the first leg on this one. Okay, I'm sorry. That being a Christian is what? I missed that so last part. So they say that it's okay. They say that people who are new Christians go into it believing mm-hmm. that everything will be perfect. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, experience, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. um, our experience um, in this human um, form. Right, the Bible starts off letting us know that we were uh, born into sin and shaped in iniquity. So that already lets us know that with this human experience, there will be difficulties and challenges that are simply a part of the human experience. And to think that because we, uh, our journey is to really connect back with the spiritual, uh, our spiritual creator. Um, that 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 is going to shield us from our human experience is inaccurate. I think the the power um, of our relationship with God and why we love Him so much is because He teaches us how to triumph over and through our human experience. He has He proves Himself to be there with us and, and to provide for us and to teach us how to survive and and go through this life. And so uh, it is a misconception to think that simply because we are uh, Christians, which means that we are following the way, we are daily trying to connect with our spiritual creator, um, that that means that our human experience will escape us. Nope, as long as we are in this body, living here on this earth, we will have to deal with what is a part of the human experience. Amen. Amen. Ah, oh, Lady Tamika. Some people come into this Christian walk and they think everything is going to be perfect. Would you agree or disagree? <laughs> I would completely disagree. Uh, you know, walking with rose-colored glasses will will get you hurt. You know, everything is rosy. Everything, <laughs> everything is beautiful. You know, and then you get your first issue or first situation, you'll come back seriously bruised because you thought that everything was going to be all right. Life has its share of ups and downs. Some days you're on top of the ball, some and other days the ball is on top of you. And, you know, there are times with life that struggles are going to come. There are times when, you know, you're going to have a hardship, you know, and believing that everything is rosy and everything is great, even through the, the storm, God is willing to help you. But sometimes it's the agitation that that struggle 
that lets you know, okay, you know what? I made it through that. That was rough, but I accomplished it. And because of the hard time now, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, anybody pay, play any type of strategic game. You can't get to game number 234 if you haven't gone through game 146. And the same thing happens with life. You know, if you're still sitting there eating, you know, or drinking milk, when, when steak comes, you're not going to be able to handle it because it's too great. It's too much of you, too much for you to have to swallow. Now I got to swallow and I got to chew and I got to wait. You know, I can't just gulp it all down. Whereas milk is easy. It'll, it'll go right on down. But life in itself has all kinds of complexities. And with that, if you're walking and saying that everything is going to be easy, then trust and believe. You're going to get your fair share of bumps and, bu- and bumps and bruises. And eventually you're going to realize, oh, this is what like oh so it's not gonna always be oh okay I can handle it because I went through this God will take me through that. All righty, all righty, Chartiz, what say you about whether a Christian makes everything perfect or not? Huh. Absolutely not. You know, the the reward to choosing to follow God and having a Christ-like lifestyle is very, you know, it's matchless. You know, nothing can compare to not only the ultimate reward of being able to be with them, you know, for eternity, but even the daily rewards. Um, you know, nothing can, can come up. But boy. Ooh, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, you know, all of this, you know, oh, I got to get myself together and then da, da, da. And it's like, okay, if we could do that, then we wouldn't need Jesus. Saying the real work <laughs> on you does not start. It's really, it's like, that's like saying, you know what, I'm going to get this degree before I go back to school. Like, let's listen to what we say, okay? You know, but the real, I've been telling people, like, the real work does not start start until you say yes to God, until you say yes to Jesus, and you say, I'm going to let you take the will. Everyone loves to say, Jesus, take the will. Okay, so let him really take the will. He's going to show you some things. The, the real work don't start until then, which means ain't nothing perfect about this, because this is a daily mirror that he's putting up to you to show you why you need to choose him every day. Because even as believers, we still have to make the conscious decision to make the switch from following yourself to following him. If it was perfect, then we would not have to make sure we make that declaration every morning. We wouldn't have to make sure, you know, we, we're we blessed to have his word that is set with reminders at any time. We can get that reassurance, that reminder, that boost, that pick-me-up. If things were perfect, God wouldn't make sure all of these things were in effect, you know, and this is why he's so on point and he's so proactive because he knows that we're so imperfect that we don't know what we're going to face every day. So we have to make sure that we stay before him. But all of this, oh, well, you know, I'm I'm going to, um, you know, things are going to be like this and things are going to, if it was so perfect, then y'all should be running. Y'all should be running. If it's really, if, if the, the, the thought is really, okay, once I'm in God, it's perfect, then more of y'all should be running towards 
him because there would be no type of glitches. There would be no type of relapse. There would be no type of crying. No. So it that is one of the biggest misconceptions. And because of that misconception, us as believers, we're looked at a certain way when we don't appear to be perfect. Because it's like, well, what do you mean you go through that? What do you mean you feel like this? What do you mean? And just like I, I, I said to you, Patrick, sometimes I'm starting to feel like we sometimes have it worse than the non-believers because we have a lot more to come to combat with than those who have not decided to give their lives yet. You know, there's nothing perfect about it yet. All righty. They have two different concepts. They say that one misconception is you already know everything in the Bible, and then there's another misconception that says you don't know anything about the Bible. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to choose which one you want to speak on, Lady Tamika. You already know everything in the Bible, or you don't know anything about the Bible. Which one is the misconception you want to address this morning? I am going to go with you know everything <laughs> about the Bible, you know. Um, and, and, and the sad part about that is there are individuals that are out there that, you know, believe that, you know. Um, and, again, life is a good teacher. God is a good teacher, you know. And one thing that I really, really love about the Word of God is you can read it over and over every day a million times, and the perspective of the Word changes for you, you know. And you don't know it all, you know. And, you'll, you know, there, there's a song that says you'll understand it better by and by, you know. And you can read a phrase a million times, and it means one thing. And then later on in your life's journey, depending on what you're dealing with, God will speak to you through that same scripture. You could read, um, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty a million times. And then when you get into a, a real struggle where I need you, God, I need, I need you to speak to me, then that word speaks differently. When you need that help, you understand in a different and a real way that God will protect you, that he is your shelter, that you can hide in him, and everything um, becomes all the more better. And you begin to trust the word in a new, real, and different way. And so you don't know it all, but trust and believe. You're going to learn. Keep living. You're going to learn. All righty, all right. which one are you taking? You already know everything in the Bible, or you don't know anything about the Bible. Which misconception? Now, you don't know anything in the Bible. And people will try to, and this is why you got to make sure you you know the Bible and that you're teachable because, like Lady Tanika said, you're never going to stop learning the Bible regardless of how knowledgeable you are, regardless of how much discernment God is blessing you with, you're going to learn every every time you read it, not just every day, but every time you read it. Um, but there are so many people that even from other faiths, like it's gotten to the point where we're not even in the same faith, but yet you figure you about to put me on to what this Bible says. And, and not that, 
you know, and, and again, we have to really be careful because a lot of times we don't know where our lessons are going to come from. But because people are so quick to want to shut you down for many different reasons, one of the biggest misconceptions is you don't know anything. And the sad part is a lot of us Christians don't know nothing because we don't <laughs> understand the importance. It, it is true, and, and it's sad. And I, I've had to apologize for the whole Christian race a few times. Just with, In a matter of these few months alone, I'm like, listen, on behalf of Christians worldwide, I'm sorry. It, it, we just don't look right as a whole a lot of the times. But it's because it's not only just opening that Bible. You have to make sure you spend time with God. You have your own relationship with him because that is going to further enhance every time, you, whether it's the Bible app, whether it's your physical Bible. That Those two com- combined is going to further enhance the understanding of the mysteries within that Bible. So when people try to now come to you and say, this means this, even the most simplistic, you know, verse, a verse where you don't have to read them between the lines, a verse you don't have to really, you know, dissect. It's just like this is plain words, words, this is what it means. When people try to now come and tell you this isn't what this means or you don't understand what it means, you can humbly let them know, no, this is what it means, not only because I'm reading it, but because I probably had an issue with wrapping my head around it. And when I was having my own study with God, he put me on to this, this way, so on and so forth. But because people are so ready to now shoot down your faith and, and tell you you don't know nothing, one of the misconceptions is you don't know the word. All righty. Elder Artesha, which one are you going to tackle today? You already know everything in the Bible. Or the misconception you don't know anything about the Bible. Um, I, I, I guess because I mean, since I have to choose one, because the truth is, I think both of them are opposite ends of of the pendulum, right? So neither one of them, right, um, are, are places that are appropriate for the child of God. But I guess uh, in choosing one, I guess I'll tackle. Uh, you know, the idea that you don't know anything about the Word of God, because, because I think it's so important that um, that new believers um, and even seasoned believers understand that the Bible is a pathway pointing to Jesus. The point is Jesus. And your mm-hmm. ability to read the Word in addition to your living out life, that takes me back to this idea of what it means to live in this human experience. The Bible is the blueprint. It is the map that teaches us the character of God, but also teaches us how to live as kingdom citizens. It teaches us how to behave, how to respond, how to posture ourselves. But the purpose of it is simply one point to lead us to Jesus. That's that's all of it. It is for that one point. It is to lead us to Jesus. It is for us to understand who he is, to understand his character, 
to understand his attributes, to be able to identify how he communicates with us by way of watching how he has dealt and communicated with each of his children in the Bible. And so I think that this idea of you don't know anything about the Bible because you are not prolific, because you're not someone who's able to just uh, rain down scripture showers is inaccurate. I think that you can read your word and <laughs> you can have the ability to have lived out of scripture. Yeah. You know, there were my and I and let me say this in all transparency that at the beginning of my walk with Jesus, I didn't have discipline to read my Bible. My prayer life is where it started for me. And so it was in my prayer life that I identified my ability to hear God and identify how God communicated with me. And God, in my prayer, would lead me. He would teach me a concept and then show me in the Bible where it was. And I want someone to hear me Mm. so clearly because the church will make you feel like if you are not prolific in the word that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I want you to know Mm -hmm. that that is not Mm -hmm. Jesus you where you are. Jesus understood that I was from the street. My heart was broken to have a, 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 a discipline to study his word. I wouldn't have even understood it. It takes me being in his presence for me to even understand the stuff. <laughs> but and especially if you read in the King James Version, all the, the thou's and the he's and then the list of names <laughs> in some of those like yep. it really does. It requires um you know, a relationship with God, even for you to understand God's word. It is about your ability to read, live, and interact with Jesus that actually um, solidifies you as a man or woman of God. It is not just one. It's not reading the Bible by itself. There are atheists who read the Bible for the whole sake of deconstructing your faith. Mm -hmm. So we have atheists who have Jehovah's Witnesses who read the Bible and who have read it on numerous, front to back, number of times, all for the purpose of coming against you and deconstructing your faith as a Christian. So that alone is not just enough. All righty. All righty now. Shanti, one of those last misconceptions we'll tackle today you have to wait before you can even share the gospel. So now you know. You know. Wait. <laughs> what say you? No, what are we waiting for? Are we waiting because, as Elder Natisha said, and that's one of the scariest things, are we waiting because now we don't feel like we have the ability to deliver you know, the word and, you know, one of, one of my desires has been to, you know, be able to share with people how it's really, like, y'all put a whole lot on it. It's really not all this complicated. It's, it's like enhanced schoolwork. You know, you go to school, you study, and somehow, some way you share what you've learned, especially when you're in college, high school, you don't really do that too much, but especially when you're in college because you're really in school for, like, a real purpose, you feel like. Um, But now I've learned something, and we've learned that as soon as God teaches us something, sometimes I can't even get out of that hour before now 
I'm in a position to share that with someone because someone may call and ask me something or tell me something or, you know, need prayer or they may just start saying something and it will remind me of a verse or verses that I just read. So as soon as you read and understand something, it's not just for you. God and Jesus, they're relying on us to now share this with people, maybe someone else who isn't as disciplined to read or has not made room for God to expand their their mind and their, you know, their territory as far as understanding yet. But there's there's nothing to wait for. Like Elder Natisha said, you don't have to have no, no degree or no title. You don't have to be a clergy in order to share what God is is putting you on to and, and that's a misconception. No, no, but there wait wait for what? Share it. All righty, all righty. I'm gonna go to Lady Tamika. It's late in the hour, so I wanna grab her. Lady Tamika, what say you? You have to wait and share the gospel. Is that true or a misconception? I think uh, the world needs um, the gospel now, and so for the wait would not would would not do the world due diligence. Okay, alrighty. Thank you so much. Elder Natisha, you have the final word this morning. You have to wait before you can share the gospel. Misconception? Absolutely misconception. You're already preaching before you even open your mouth. Your lifestyle, <laughs> your your commitment is already preaching. It is already sharing the gospel. Your story uh, is sharing the gospel, right? When we take people into the Bible, we're taking them to Romans so, so that we can help to help them identify and make the connection between believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. But the truth is that the gospel message is seen in your daily life. Your ability to rise out of dead situations is proof of the power of Jesus. So your existence um, is already preaching. People are watching you. And will never say a word, but you're, but 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 are getting the gospel of Jesus Christ because of how you live your life, because of how you deal with adversity, because how you show up with difficult people, because of how you have not the restraint you showed when your coworker got on your nerve, and your boss got on your nerve, when your husband got on your nerve, when your children got on your nerve, the commitment that you make to your local church, like your life is preaching the gospel even before you open your mouth. So there's absolutely no need to wait. All righty. Thank you so much, lady, for your contribution into today's conversation. And we pray you have a blessed day. Thank you. You as well. Thank Bless you. Lady. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's hold hands and whole hearts as we go before the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father God, we come before you with thanksgiving in our hearts, Lord, as we have been blessed to be able to see another day. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for loving us throughout the night, loving us throughout the day, 
investing in us just one more time. And so much was discussed here this morning. And we're grateful to Heavenly Father that you have chosen us to be the deliverers of your word. Thank you for equipping us to be able to do so, even when we may not have thought that we could ever do this, even if we thought we would never do this. We give you thanks. Thank you so much for choosing and using us, God, showing us your purpose, that we were born on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. We come before you this morning, dear Heavenly Father, as humbly as we know how, offering the words that you have put into our mouths, our spirits, our hearts, just aiming, aiming to bless anyone who hears this broadcast today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, as you spare our lives. We pray that we are recipients of our own words, that the words would encourage us. And the fact that we're not just speaking to people who are not on this broadcast right along with us, but that we're blessed enough to not just be deliverers, but recipients of your word this morning and how it blesses our lives each and every day to just hear just hear from you each and every day. What a blessing it is to hear from you each and every day. And I pray that as we all listen, that we are not just hearers, but we are doers of your word. That we would allow you to just Uh, expound as we meditate on your word day and night that we would not just go through our day as though we heard nothing but that your word would leave us that it would it would make us hunger and thirst after your righteousness even more that we would just crave you more and more and more just every word that's that that's rendered by each individual, it would it would send us to our Bibles. It would send us to our knees. We would have the desire to spend time with you more and more. Just that alone time, God. And Lord, we're gonna pray today for the reversal of any generational curses that may have come from yelling, any other level of abuse, any other level of mistreatment that our parents sometimes did the best that they could, no matter how dysfunctional it may have been. But we give you the glory and the honor because we could not be on this side of the fence if not for you. We thank you that we're not a statistic. We thank you that we are not sitting behind bars because the fact of the matter is we very well could. 
We very well could have been in the crack house. We very well could have been on the other side of the grave or in the grave. And on the other side of the grave could have been the walking dead. So we give you thanks, God, because if it weren't for you, if it weren't for your mercy and grace, we would know nothing. If it weren't for your mercy and grace, we couldn't speak. If it weren't for your mercy and grace, we wouldn't have survived. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for having a plan for our lives. Thank you for calling our name and just nudging us to answer. How many times did we say no before we gave in? We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you for your son. Thank you this morning. Thank you this afternoon. Thank you yesterday. We pray that every word from our mouth would render a level of thanksgiving. That we would not just take where we are and who we are for granted. Because we understand if it weren't for you, we would not have made it. So we pray, God, that as we go further, that we make sure we don't let you go. We don't find ourselves in our old way, in our old hands, with our old thoughts, but that we look to you for what's come with our help. We thank you. We thank you that we were different parents. Not better necessarily, but different. Thank you. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you that we have a different story to tell. Thank you that we can call your name and give you the glory and honor as we live this life. Thank you for forgiveness. Your word says you winked at us during our time of ignorance. We thank you for that. We love you. We love you because you're so, so merciful and kind. I pray that the words that we share here today would change the lives of everyone who hears them. 
He needs you. He needs you every moment of the day. We would not survive if we let you go. Not for five minutes. We would not survive. We give you the glory and the honor. So rightly do your name. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You've been listening to It's Due Time with Pastor Steph. Join us Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. where we discuss matters of the heart, mind, and spirit. As you go through your day, be sure to set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. They will only serve as a distraction. Remember, prayer changes things. It's Pastor Steph signing off, and I want to thank my due time crew, the ladies, for always coming through big time. Thank you for hanging out with us. Please do not miss this opportunity to give your life to Christ right now. Please do not miss this opportunity to strengthen your relationship with the Lord right now, because later is not promised to any of us. Until tomorrow, God says, where it's therapeutic Thursday. Until then, God spare our life. I love you.